Section 16, Autobiography of John Stuart Mill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tony Richardson. Chapter 7, Part 1. General View of the Remainder of My Life. From this time, what is worth relating of my life will come into a very small compass. For I have no further mental changes to tell of, but only, as I hope, a continued mental process, which does not admit of a consecutive history, and the results of which, if real, will be best found in my writings. I shall, therefore, greatly abridge the chronicle of my subsequent years. The first use I made of the leisure which I gained by disconnecting myself from the review was to finish the logic. In July and August 1838, I had found an interval in which to execute what was still undone of the original draft of the third book. In working out the logical theory of those laws of nature, which are not laws of causation nor corollaries from such laws, I was led to recognize kinds as realities in nature and not mere distinctions for convenience, a light which I had not obtained when the first book was written and which made it necessary for me to modify and enlarge several chapters of that book. The book on language and classification and the chapter on the classification of fallacies were drafted in the autumn of the same year the remainder of the work in the summer and autumn of 1840. From April following to the end of 1841, my spare time was devoted to a complete rewriting of the book from its commencement. It is in this way that all my books have been composed. They were always written at least twice over. A first draft of the entire work was completed to the very end of the subject, then the whole begun again de novo, but incorporating in the second writing all sentences and parts of sentences of the old draft, which appeared as suitable to my purpose as anything which I could write in lieu of them. I have found great advantages in this system of double redaction. It combines, better than any other mode of composition, the freshness and vigor of the first conception with the superior precision and completeness resulting from prolonged thought. In my own case, moreover, I have found that the patience necessary for a careful elaboration of the details of composition and expression costs much less effort after the entire subject has been once gone through and the substance of all that I find to say has in some manner, however imperfect, been got upon paper. The only thing which I am grateful in the first draft to make as practical as I am able is the arrangement. If that is bad, the whole thread on which the ideas string themselves becomes twisted. Thoughts placed in a wrong connection are not expounded in a manner that suits the right, and the first draft with this original vice is next to useless as a foundation for the final treatment. 
during the rewriting of the logic dr whewell's philosophy of the inductive sciences made its appearance a circumstance fortunate for me as it gave me what i really desired a full treatment of the subject by an antagonist and enabled me to present my ideas with greater clearness and emphasis as well as fuller and more varied development in defending them against definite objections or confronting them distinctly with an opposite theory the controversies with dr whewell as well as much matter derived from comte were first introduced into the book in the course of the rewriting at the end of eighteen forty one the book being ready for the press i offered it to murray who kept it until too late for publication that season and then refused it for reasons which could just as well have been given at first but i have no cause to regret a rejection which led to my offering it to mr parker by whom it was published in the spring of eighteen forty three my original expectations of success were extremely limited archbishop whatley had indeed rehabilitated the name of logic and the study of the forms rules and fallacies of ratiocination and dr whewell's writings had begun to execute an interest in the other part of my subject the theory of induction a treatise however on a matter so abstract could not be expected to be popular it could only be a book for students and students on such subjects uh, were not only at least in england few but addicted chiefly to the opposite school of metaphysics the ontological and innate principles school i therefore did not expect that the book would have many readers or approvers and looked for little practical effect from it save that of keeping the tradition unbroken of what i thought a better philosophy what hopes i had of exciting any immediate attention were mainly grounded on the polemical properties of dr whewell who i thought from observation of his conduct in other cases would probably do something to bring the book into notice but replying and that promptly to the attack on his opinions he did reply but not until eighteen fifty just in time for me to answer him in the third edition how the book came to have for a work of the kind so much success and what sort of persons compose the book of those who have bought i will not venture to say read it i have never thoroughly understood but taken in conjunction with the many proofs which have been since given of a revival of speculation speculation too of a free kind in many quarters and above all where at one time i should have least expected it in the universities the fact becomes particularly intelligible i have never indulged the illusion that the book had made any considerable impression on philosophical opinion the german or a priori view of human knowledge and of the knowing faculties is likely for some time longer though it may be hoped in a diminishing degree to predominate among those who occupy themselves with such inquiries both here and on the continent 
but the system of logic supplies what was much wanted a textbook of the opposite doctrine that which derives all knowledge from experience and all moral and intellectual qualities principally from the direction given to the associations i make as humble an estimate as anybody of what either an analysis of logical processes or any possible canons of evidence can do by themselves towards guiding or rectifying the operations of the understanding combined with other requisites i certainly do think them of great use but whatever may be the practical value of a true philosophy of these matters it is hardly possible to exaggerate the mischiefs of a false one the notion that truths external to the mind may be known by intuition or consciousness independently of observation and experience is i am persuaded in these times the great intellectual support of false doctrines and bad institutions by the aid of this theory every inveterate belief and every intense feeling of which the origin is not remembered is enabled to dispense with the obligation of justifying itself by reason and is erected into its own all-sufficient voucher and justification there never was such an instrument devised for consecrating all deep-seated prejudices and the chief strength of this false philosophy in morals politics and religion lies in the appeal which it is accustomed to make to the evidence of mathematics and of the cognate branches of physical science to expel it from these is to drive it from its stronghold and because this had never been effectually done the intuitive school even after what my father had written in his analysis of the mind had in appearance as far as published writings were concerned on the whole the best of the argument in attempting to clear up the real nature of the evidence of mathematical and physical truths the system of logic met with intuitive philosophers on ground on which they had previously been deemed unassailable and gave its own explanation from experience and association of that peculiar character of what are called necessary truths which is adduced as proof that their evidence must come from a deeper source than experience. Whether this has been done effectually is still sub judice, and even then to deprive a mode of thought so strongly rooted in human prejudices and partialities of its mere speculative support goes but a very little way towards overcoming it. But though only a step, it is a quiet, indispensable one for since after all prejudice can only be successfully combated by philosophy no way can really be made against it permanently until it has been shown not to have philosophy on its side being now released from active concerns and temporary politics and from any literary occupation involving personal communication with contributors and others, I was enabled to indulge the inclination 
natural to thinking persons when the age of boyish vanity is once past for limiting my own society to a very few persons general society as now carried on in england is so insipid an affair even to the persons who make it what it is that it is kept up for any reason rather than the pleasure it affords all serious discussion on matters on which opinions differ being considered ill-bred and the national deficiency in liveliness and sociability having prevented the cultivation of the art of talking agreeably on trifles in which the french of the last century much excelled the sole attraction of what is called society to those who are not at the top of the tree is the hope of being aided to climb a little higher in it while to those who are already at the top it is chiefly a compliance with custom and with the supposed requirements of their station to a person of any but a common order in thought or feeling such society unless he has personal objects to serve by it must be supremely unattractive and most people in the present day of any really high class of intellect make their contact with it so slight and at such long intervals as to be almost considered as retiring from it altogether those persons of any mental superiority who do otherwise are almost without exception greatly deteriorated by it not to mention loss of time the tone of their feelings is lowered they become less in earnest about those of their opinions respecting which they must remain silent in the society they frequent they come to look upon their most elevated objects as unpractical or at least too remote from realization to be more than a vision or a theory and if more fortunate than most they retain their higher principles unimpaired yet with respect to the persons and affairs of their own day they insensibly adopt the modes of feelings and judgment in which they can hope for sympathy from the company they keep a person of high intellect should never go into unintellectual society unless he can enter it as an apostle yet he is the only person with high objects who can safely enter it at all persons even of intellectual aspirations had much better if they can make their habitual associates of at least their equals and as far as possible their superiors in knowledge intellect and elevation of sentiment moreover if the character is formed and the mind made up on the few cardinal points of human opinion agreement of conviction and feeling on these has been felt in all times to be an essential requisite of anything worthy the name of friendship in a really earnest mind all these circumstances united made the number very small of those whose society and still more whose intimacy i now voluntarily sought among these by far the principal was the incomparable friend of whom i have already spoken 
at this period she lived mostly with one young daughter in a quiet part of the country and only occasionally in town with her husband mr taylor i visited her equally in both places and was greatly indebted to the strength of character which enabled her to disregard the false interpretations liable to be put on the frequency of my visits to her while living generally apart from mr taylor and on our occasionally travelling together though in all other respects our conduct during those years gave not the slightest ground for any other supposition than the true one that our relation to each other at that time was one of strong affection and confidential intimacy only for though we did not consider the ordinances of society binding on a subject so entirely personal we did feel bound that our conduct should be such as in no degree to bring discredit on her husband nor therefore on herself in this third person as it may be termed of my mental progress which now went hand in hand with hers my opinions gained equally in breadth and depth i understood more things than those which i had understood before i now more thoroughly i had now completely turned back from what there had been of excess in my reaction against benthamism i had at the height of that reaction certainly become much more indulgent to the common opinions of society in the world and more willing to be content with seconding the superficial improvement which had begun to take place in those common opinions than became one whose convictions on so many points differed fundamentally from them i was much more inclined than i can now prove to put in abeyance the more decidedly heretical part of my opinions which i now look upon as almost the only ones the assertion of which tends in any way to regenerate society but in addition to this our opinions were far more heretical than mine had been in the days of my most extreme benthamism in those days i had seen little further than the old school of political economists into the possibilities of fundamental improvement in social arrangements private property as now understood and inheritance appeared to me as to them the dernier mot of legislation and i looked no further than to mitigating the inequalities consequent on these institutions by getting rid of primogeniture and entails the notion that it was possible to go further than this in removing the injustice for injustice it is whether admitting of a complete remedy or not involved in the fact that some are born to riches and the vast majority to poverty i then reckoned chimerical and only hoped that by universal education leading to voluntary restraint on population the portion of the poor might be made more tolerable in short i was a democrat but not the least of a socialist we were now much less democrats than i had been because so long as education continues to be so wretchedly imperfect we dreaded the ignorance and especially the selfishness and brutality of the mass 
but our ideal of ultimate improvement went far beyond democracy and would class us decidedly under the general designation of socialists while we repudiated with the greatest energy that tyranny of society over the individual which most socialist systems are supposed to involve we yet look forward to a time when society will no longer be divided into the idle and the industrious when the rule that they who do not work shall not eat will be applied not to paupers only but impartially to all when the divisions of the produce of labor instead of depending as in so great a degree it now does on the accident of birth will be made by concert on an acknowledged principle of justice and when it will no longer either be or be thought to be impossible for human beings to exert themselves strenuously in procuring benefits which are not to be exclusively their own but to be shared with the society they belong to the social problem of the future we consider to be how to unite the greatest individual liberty of action with a common ownership in the raw material of the globe and an equal participation of all in the benefits of combined labor we had not the presumption to suppose that we could already foresee by what precise form of institutions these objects could most effectually be attained or at how near or how distant a period they would become practicable we saw clearly that to render any such social transformation either possible or desirable an equivalent change of character must take place both in the uncultivated herd who now compose the laboring masses and in the immense majority of their employers both these classes must learn by practice to labor and combine for generous or at all events for public and social purposes and not as hitherto solely for narrowly interested ones but the capacity to do this has always existed in mankind and is not nor is ever likely to be extinct education habit and the cultivation of the sentiments will make a common man dig or weave for his country as readily as fight for his country true enough it is only by slow degrees and a system of culture prolonged through successive generations that men in general can be brought up to this point but the hindrance is not in the essential constitution of human nature interest in the common good is at present so weak a motive in the generality not because it can never be otherwise but because the mind is not accustomed to dwell on it as it dwells from morning till night on things which tend only to personal advantage when called into activity as only self-interest now is by the daily course of life and spurred from behind by the love of distinction and the fear of shame it is capable of producing even in common men the most strenuous exertions as well as the most heroic sacrifices 
the deep-rooted selfishness which forms the general character of the existing state of society is so deeply rooted only because the whole course of existing institutions tends to foster it and modern institutions in some respects more than ancient since the occasions on which the individual is called on to do anything for the public without receiving its pay are far less frequent in modern life than the smaller commonwealths of antiquity these considerations did not make us overlook the folly of premature attempts to dispense with the inducements of private interest in social affairs while no substitute for them has been or can be provided but we regarded all existing institutions and social arrangements as being in a phrase i once heard from austin merely provisional and we welcome with the greatest pleasure and interest all socialistic experiments by select individuals such as the cooperative societies which whether they succeeded or failed could not but operate as a most useful education for those who took their part in them by cultivating their capacity of acting upon motives pointing directly to the general good or making them aware of the defects which render them and others incapable of doing so in the principles of political economy these opinions were promulgated less clearly and fully in the first edition rather more so in the second and quite unequivocally in the third the difference arose partly from the change of times the first edition having been written and sent to press before the french revolution of eighteen forty eight after which the public mind became more open to the reception of novelties in opinion and doctrines appeared moderate which would have been thought very startling a short time before in the first edition the difficulties of socialism were stated so strongly that the tone was on the whole that of opposition to it in the year or two which followed much time was given to the study of the best socialistic writers on the continent and to mediation and discussion on the whole range of topics involved in the controversy and the result was that most of what had been written on the subject in the first edition was cancelled and replaced by arguments and reflections which represent a more advanced opinion the political economy was far more rapidly executed than the logic or indeed than anything of importance which i had previously written it was commenced in the autumn of eighteen forty five and was ready for the press before the end of eighteen forty seven in this period of little more than two years there was an interval of six months during which the work was laid aside while i was writing articles in the morning chronicle which unexpectedly entered warmly into my purpose urging the foundation of peasant properties on the wastelands of ireland this was during the period of famine the winter of eighteen forty six to forty seven 
when the stern necessities of the time seemed to afford a chance of gaining attention for what appeared to me the only mode of combining relief to immediate destitution with permanent improvement of the social and economical condition of the irish people but the idea was new and strange there was no english precedent for such a proceeding and the profound ignorance of english politicians and the english public concerning all social phenomena not generally met with in england however common elsewhere made my endeavours an entire failure instead of a great operation on the wastelands and the conversion of cotiers into proprietors parliament passed a poor law for maintaining them as paupers and if the nation has not since found itself in inextricable difficulties from the joint operation of the old evils and the quack remedy it is indebted for its deliverance to that most unexpected and surprising fact the depopulation of ireland commenced by famine and continued by immigration end of section sixteen recording by tony richardson